everybody, and welcome to Comic Club, your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. I am your host, Blaine McGaffigan, and I am joined, as always, by Adam, Adman Cook. Hey, Blaine, great to be here. Great to have you. As always, we are streaming live today from Comic Club Studio Headquarters. Each month, we read a new comic or graphic novel and break it down on our show. This is our spoiler-free shorter episode where we introduce which book we are reading and chat about our first impressions, including the bare bones, who this comic is for, and judging a book by its cover. This month, we'll be reading Rorschach, the comic sequel to Watchmen. Adam, give us the bare bones. Rorschach picks up the Watchmen story where the HBO series left off, and this time we have a new person taking up the mantle of Rorschach, but who that is is yet to be seen. So, Blaine, why do we pick Rorschach for this month? Honestly, we picked it because I always wanted to read it. And uh, we love Tom King over here. Go back and listen to our Vision vision episode. I kind of had this realization with Tom King where I was reading him on the monthly basis and then realizing these are 12, he does 12 issue what they call a maxi series. And so Vision was a maxi series, the, uh, the Omega Men, um, uh, Sheriff of Babylon. He's done a bunch of these now. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to get these in collections because I love Tom King's sort of work and they really make a great graphic novel a la Watchmen. Watchmen was 12 issues and did sort of this perfect beginning, middle and end. And there's something sort of refreshing in the comic book medium to having an end. And so I'm really excited about it. Um, Adam, I wanted to throw it back to you. What is kind of like your experience with Watchmen the 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 mega property from the comic to the show to everything in between. Well, I love the graphic novel. Obviously, one of my favorites. If you go to the zero episode, definitely drop Watchmen in there as a big influence. That one, you know, it's kind of the classic. I think for a lot of people, where you realize um, just how expansive the medium can be and just how much you can do, how creative people can get within this medium. And um, that one, you know, everyone kind of talks about Watchmen as being one of the big ones that sort of transcends the genre as like this great work of art that's, you know, kind of like a timeless work of art beyond comics or graphic novel itself. Um, So I love that so much. I really liked the HBO series. I honestly, Zack Snyder, he's not my favorite filmmaker, but... I kind of do want to go back and check out that Watchmen. It's been a really, really long time since I've watched it. Um, I'm pretty sure I know how I'll feel, but I still think it would be a worthy experiment. But the HBO series, big fan. Blaine and I, you know, just to peel the cur- pull the curtain back a little bit, we were practicing getting our chops up for a comic club podcast with the HBO series. So we were deep in this HBO series and it was so much fun, really satisfying follow-up to that world. And so I'm really excited to see this because I really liked um, the vision and that was my first introduction to Tom King, but it made me think that he was just a very talented writer and he's someone that I think would sort of be, I guess, worthy of playing in the Watchmen sandbox and I know that to kind of wrap that this up, I know that Watchmen kind of have been brought back. I remember the Doomsday Clock um, and this whole, you know, the sort of event that led up to it. And so I remember that they kind of made this return to comics recently, um, but I don't remember exactly how that played out. But I bet you do. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go super deep into that because it has been a bit, but it, it's so funny because even when you were sort of listing the adaptations and the sequels and stuff, I, I went on Wikipedia and was writing down everything that had kind of come in the Watchmen universe and completely forgot about the Snyder uh, movie. <laughs> I don't know wow. why. Yeah, I was like in my mind, whenever I think of Watchmen adaptations, I think of the Lindelof show because I hold that so close in my memory and I put I rank it really high, not only as like comic adaptations, but just on TV shows. I love that series so much. And, um, you know, the movie's the movie. It's it's It looks like the comic in a lot of ways and in a lot of ways it's forgettable because of that um i i would say it but yeah i think it might be worth a revisit i and i i I revisit it time uh every once in a while the couple i wrote down though as sort of in the watchman universe is they did these series called before watchman um and and they did like four issues on the minutemen four issues on Ozymandias, four issues on Moloch, you know, all these kind of like even B and C tier heroes or characters in the Watchmen universe. And they brought in a lot of different creators to do those. I picked up some of the trades from the library and I was reading them and I was just like, stop, put it down. Don't go there, Blaine. Just don't go there. Just keep Watchmen pure. However, I do like some of the sequels. So if you're a before Watchmen fan, you know, don't at me, you know, it, it's fine. Take it. I decided to kind of opt out of it because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to meddle. But uh, yeah, like, like you said, DC owns the Watchmen. So what they did in one of these, you know, sort of grand reveals whenever Jeff Johns was writing, it was this big, I think it was maybe after Flashpoint, right into Rebirth. And so if you're chronologically keeping track of the DC universe and Batman in his cave, he finds the smiley face button. And it was a pretty big sort of reveal that sent waves in the comic community of like, oh my gosh, like you're telling me that Dr. Manhattan and all these characters are also in the DC universe. And it was one of their crisis level events where, you know, Universes are multiverses are imploding and or and imploding, and the Watchmen Earth was just one of the Earths, and uh, you know it's kind of interesting because I believe Alan Moore, whenever he wrote Watchmen, he borrowed a lot of these characters from uh, or their analogs of like I think it's maybe called the the Charlton line or something like that. One of these, and we'll we'll do more research for our full um, episode. But uh, he borrowed some of these characters, and some of them are just sort of analogs, and he was able to sort of cobble together his own universe here. Um, so that resolved in a series called Doomsday Clock. And then, like Adam said, another sort of universe, the Lindelof verse, maybe is what you, if it was maybe what we're going to call it. That's what we're going to follow here, which is like the Watchmen HBO series, and then this. So obviously, it didn't cross over with the DC universe in this series, but I'm pretty excited about it. It's a little confusing because the Lindelof series is a di- it's a direct, you know, continuation from the original Watchmen, but it's still not technically the same. It's a little different, but um, yeah, I'm really excited to check this out. I loved that Lindelof series. Shout out to Lube Man. <laughs> yes. We love Lube Man. We love him, and and we're and whenever Lindelof's ready to make Watchmen two, you know, season two, I, I we got to know what happens to Lube Man. Oh, man. All right. We'll have to get into some speculation in the full episode. 
Absolutely. All right, let's take it on over to who this comic is for. This is where we break down who we think is the perfect audience for this month's book. If you find yourself in any of these categories, you have to pick it up. And if not, join the comic club and read it with us anyway. Adam, who is this comic for? This comic is for fans of Watchmen, obviously. People who love panel grids. Trench coat owners. (laughs) People who love detective comics aspiring private investigators alternate history fans and that's who this comic is for adam you know something as i was thinking about just now so okay so there's the there's the watchman sequel that crosses over with dc continuity and then there's the lindelof sequel something that watchman solidified in my mind and i think many comics do this uh we talked about batman year one go back and listen to that batman year one is a very okay what if a superhero was in the real world right and that's an argument that they make in marvel a lot as well okay what if you know these superheroes are not in gotham or metropolis what if they're in the real world um new york city what watchman did to me whenever i first read it though my, one of my biggest takeaways was like, oh my gosh, like this comic is really like what if heroes, the Minutemen, and then eventually superheroes, you know, the first iteration of Watchmen, came to the real world. And I always loved how it did cross with like the TV and the Doomsday Clock and um, the presidential election and sort of the politics of it. And it really felt grounded and real in a way that Marvel or DC never did to me. Yeah, it has this weight to it and this authenticity that, I don't know, there, it just seems so, I guess, I guess it just seems so relevant and timeless at the same time. You go back to that Watchmen and you feel like there are still themes in that that feel incredibly current to our political landscape today. Oh, 100%. And so I I think part of that quality like really shines through and makes it feel like that. You know, that's a really good point is just how kind of, you know, I guess less it's it's about superheroes and more the way it comments like on our own society and the way we, I guess, want justice served and the way we expect, you know, our leaders to act and things like that. So – um, anyway, I thought that was an interesting thing. And so this does present kind of an alternate history where different presidents win an election. It just kind of continues on. I, th- I always think that's fascinating. All right, let's get into the section of the show where we judge a book by its cover, where we like to imagine ourselves walking through a comic shop and happen upon the book sitting on a shelf. What would we think about the cover? What does it say about what's inside? How cool is the logo and everything else? Adam, let's judge this book by its cover. This is a great cover very strong imagery the you know the red black white color scheme it's pretty much the most powerful combination of colors of all time and this makes great use of that on the you know big huge fingerprint on this uh big red fingerprint is on this thumb on this cover and hidden or kind of you know captured within this fingerprint is rorschach um and it's sort of a cool like how would you describe that shading where, you know, they kind of do the half shadow shading, Blaine? Is there a term for that? 
No idea, dude. Yeah, no yeah, just plays just... the art buff. So if he doesn't know, it doesn't <laughs> exist. But anyways, it looks super cool, and it kind of it you know it it creates that image, the illusion that half his face is shadowed. Yes, and it just screams detective story to me. You got a fingerprint, you got a dude in a trench coat and a mask and a fedora. This is going to be a detective story, and um, yeah, it's kind of you know I feel like you know what you're getting into with this, and you don't want to waste any time. You just want to take it off the shelf and crack it open. Yeah, and even more so, you're 100% on with the detective story angle. And I view this with the trade dress. I always love when designers and the artists really experiment and do different things with the trade dress because usually... Um, you know, you'll get the big logo in the top center and then, you know, maybe the art, you know, the credits in the bottom right or bottom left or whatever. But the way they've designed this out is, is sort of like in a little rectangle on top. And what, what the whole composition looks to me like is a pulp book you pick up on like a spinner rack at like an airport from the seventies, right? Like one of these, one of these like hard boiled heart, you know, one of these hard boiled stories. And, and that's something I think is Really cool from the font to just the way it's designed out. And then one thing I did want to call attention to is the very top. It's DC Black Label. And Black Label is their sort of adult kind of uh, side of the DC universe. DC used to own Vertigo Comics, and that used to be their adult side where they would have Swamp Thing, John Constantine, Sandman, things like that. Um Vertigo is, you know, long hasn't been publishing, but their newest iteration of what I would say is the more mature series is the Black Label. And they come, often they'll come in these more prestige kind of like uh, bound comics, a little bit harder card stock. And so they're good sort of collectibles in and of themselves. And they also say, you know, to readers, you know, this is kind of like the black label. These are the ones for you, the adult readers, the mature comics, the sort of, you know, well-written, not just the monthlies that get cranked out. They are limited series. So, um, you know, I recommend a lot of the black label. I think they're, that publishing line is really doing some good stuff. Well, that's cool. Yeah, they got to let you know this is the good stuff. That's right. Um, okay, one last thing before we end this pod. Adam, Alan Moore, if he had it his way, nobody, this comic would never have been made. <laughs> um, Alan Moore is very do not mess with my characters. Um, he unattaches himself to the series Miracle Man. Now that they republish it, it just says by the original author. It doesn't even say Alan Moore anymore. Um, how, how do you feel about sort of DC? Let's say DC in particular, because I mean, I think there's a world where we live in this culture of corporations mining the depths of IP, right? I, you were going to get a, you know, Every series, Blade Runner, there's there's reboots, there's remakes, there's there's uh, continuations of every series, Ghostbusters, everything. Um, how do you feel in this particular case of going back and um, using a character from Watchmen, a classic, and kind of uh, recontinuing it against maybe Alan Moore's wishes? I feel like I try to take these things on a case-by-case basis. And, you know, you can kind of play the results in a large way, in maybe an unfair way. But with someone like Tom King, I feel like he's someone that I think can give that a good shot. You know, maybe not every, I wouldn't want every creator tackling that 
getting to, you know, play with Rorschach. Same way I wouldn't want everyone making a TV show, but Damon Lindelof was someone that I thought he would have an interesting perspective on it and he'll have something to say. Because I think that's part of it is what are you going to bring that's new to this property? Are you just going to tell the exact same story in a modern setting? Because that's not that interesting to me. But if you do something like the HBO series did where they kind of, okay, said, let's explore this world um, where it would be now. If, you know, those events happened in 1985, where would they be in 2000, whatever that was, 19? Um, And I don't know that it should always be granted, but, you know, it's just hard at this point. You you just kind of can't deny the cycle of adaptation and reboots. And honestly, it's something that's been going on forever. People have been adapting Shakespeare stories since the beginning of time. And, you know, classic mythology gets told and changed but a lot of it borrows from the same stories so you know this is just sort of what happens in art and it seems maybe a little more upfront because we're experiencing it in a digital world where we can just see exactly the other iterations and how you know similar they were or different they were Mm -hmm. but i'll close with one final quote i believe this is pablo picasso Good artists borrow, great artists steal. Absolutely. I love that good in punctuation there. We'll leave it. And I mean, I honestly, Adam, you said it best is you have to be a good steward for this stuff. And I think DC has done a fair job. Even that before Watchmen um, series I mentioned, they bring in top talent. You know, they're, they're, they're not just... They're not just cranking this stuff out to to make a buck. They are pretty precious about the Washman property and and who they're passing it to. So I think they've done a good job, and I will commend them on that. And so you're you're spot on. It's a case by case basis, and you can smell it as a fan if it's a cash grab or is this truly a creator who has something to say in this universe? That's right. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. And that's going to wrap it up for this Comic Club. Join us in two weeks for our full episode where we talk all about the nitty-gritty of all 12 issues of Rorschach. If you enjoyed today's show, tell a friend, leave a review on your podcast app of choice. I am Blaine McGaff on Twitter. I'm Danger Adam on Instagram. And follow at Comic Club Podcast all across the web. And we'll see you next time. Adam. Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics.